0: Welcome to the latest edition of At The Flicks, your one-stop shop for movie news, interviews and reviews.
1: We are still relying on home viewing for this show as we didn't have enough cinema films under our belt. However, the great news is one of the films we are reviewing stars Mel Gibson. Oh, Jeff, stop editing my stuff.
2: (laughs) (laughs) For the home viewing section, we're reviewing a number of old films as part of our Guilty Pleasures special.
0: And, as always, this Darren Stash. This month's selection includes Unhinged, Baby Teeth and How to Build a Woman. Mind you, I could give you a blueprint oh, for that. please, not oh,
2: Please cut that.
1: <laughs> no, no.
0: <laughs> Greetings and salutations. My name is Jeff, and my main cinema interests are political and horror movies. While I am pleased that UK cinemas are opening again... I have a question for you all. What does the standard of films currently being shown have in common with the British government? Answer, they're all (laughs) second-rate. Oh dear.
1: Hi, my name is Graham. My main cinema interests are sci-fi and comic book movies. Whilst I agree that the government is second-rate, I did manage to catch a couple of first-rate movies last week, so things are starting to pick up. Just in time for the second wave of the pandemic.
2: Hi, my name is Neil and I'm just here to agree with Jeff. And stop doing that. I wrote disagree.
3: <laughs> Hi, I'm Phil and uh, you can find my blog at um, philthebearblog.wordpress.com.
4: Hi, my name is Darren and I'm loving the fact that I can go to a cinema with hardly anybody else in the theater.
0: So my very funny riddle will have more meaning in our next review show. When we discuss some pretentious nonsense that is being called the saviour of cinema, I'll leave that to you. Sorry, to what it is. Until then, let's get on with our current review show and start with two films we watched on streaming services. The first one of which Graham insisted we all have to see. It's from Amazon Prime, and we have The Professor and the Madman. We have been attempting to make this dictionary for the last 20
5: years, and I submit that the extraordinary, the unconventional, Mr. Murray, is the solution and our salvation.
4: The task is gigantic.
5: And impossible. There is a way. We'll ask them to read in search of the words that we want, and get them to write the word on a slip of paper. So this is the good doctor. I'm proud to make your acquaintance, sir. I cannot believe my eyes. All right, partners, one for one. My entire life, all that I pursued, has been in preparation for this. You think I'm insane. You do experience yourself as being under threat. I only need books. Our gathering so far, we've only just started.
0: William Minor will be struck from all acknowledgements.
5: What are you so afraid of? That a bad man can be redeemed. Mr Murray, we are watching with a concerned eye. Watch then, and be amazed. Yes,
0: Graham's favourite movie star, The Mel, is back. (laughs) Here he plays real-life academic James Murray, the man behind the Oxford English Dictionary, which was started back in the 1870s. Remember that, Neil?
4: While
0: the Oxford establishment would like Professor Murray to fail in his task, the learned man has a cunning plan to succeed. He asks the public for help with the definitions and history of words. While all of this may sound mm, a little bit more highbrow work from the Mel, there is a twist. One of the people who volunteers to assist is Dr. William Miner, played by Sean Penn, who is in Broadmoor for murder. So begins an unusual friendship between these two very different characters. Graham, I know you're chomping at the bit to come in on this. (laughs) Is it up there with the Mel's finest work? First off,
1: despite Mel Gibson being in the main role, I did actually really enjoy this story. And I say story because it's the central tale that drives the movie, not the characters. For me, the standout performance by far was Sean Penn as Dr. Minor, the madman of the title. I thought the rest of the cast were also good, excluding Mel and Natalie Dormer playing uh, the physical manifestation of Miner's redemptive arc. The British stalwarts of Eddie Marsden and Steve Coogan, who were all excellent and give the film that real Victorian feel. I thought they were brilliant. Set dressing, costumes, location work reinforced the period settings. and A wee bit of a problem with the uh, fixed camera work, which I didn't think added much at all. And whilst I was fully engaged with the story, I found gibson's performance lackluster in truth never from, <laughs> they could have put any other jobbing actor in the role and it would have worked gibson is at his best when he has somewhat to work off and penn provides that role perfectly gibson rev- revived his william wallace voice for the character of james murray i was just waiting for him to shout freedom <laughs> It's a story about words and dialogue is a glorious trip through the obscure corners of the Oxford English Dictionary. However, Gibson's ability to deliver these lines, I thought, fell short and far below Penn, who just sparkles with intensity. Actually, another thing I noticed in the credits, that Gibson had a voice coach for the role and Penn did not. I think that speaks volumes. It was a good evening's entertainment,
0: but Mel's still shite. Before we go to Phil, <laughs> I just want to pick up a, a question In Something you said. You said the fixed camera work didn't add much to the period look. Can you expand that? At the start, it was great. They were following down streets. It
1: was really moving along. But then we got into these strange, just slow panning shots in his garden and when they were erecting the the shed they worked in. And then they'd obviously uh, were trying to avoid modern power outlets and things in most of the rooms. And so we had these strange stilted shots. I just thought it just felt a bit weird. And once she'd noticed it, I couldn't unnotice it. It really drove me mad. I was going... Yeah, I bet there's a telly in the corner of that room and that's why they're avoiding that area.
0: <laughs> or or alternatively, they might have been acting, you know, like in the period when they made films at that time, the camera ah. would have stood there perfectly still. No.
1: Okay, okay. But know. I wouldn't, wouldn't credit Mel Gibson with
0: that much intelligence. So oh, I think he's got a lot of intelligence. <laughs> Phil, what do you say?
3: Um, I think we watched a different film to each other. I thought the subject matter was really compelling Mm. I thought Dr. William Minor was a really interesting character. He's haunted by war. He's losing his mind. He's being tortured, essentially, by the sort of medical practices of the time. And I thought, you know, James Murray's this underdog. He's not really seen as the right type of person to do the job by the Oxford establishment. He's got to move his entire family. He's really committed to this. There's an unlikely friendship. I thought it was going to be really interesting. And I just thought it failed at everything, at every turn. It just seemed really unfocused and it kept jumping around in terms of what it wanted to talk about. So initially we're talking about the difficulty of bringing the dictionary to life. Then it jumps to this weird relationship development between a minor and the wife of the man he murdered, which is Natalie Dormer's character. That was just bizarre. Then it was seemed to be actually about outdated medical practices of how you deal with somebody who's ill, and I was kind of like, well, what happened to the interesting dictionary story? Can we go back to yeah. that? The other bit I didn't like is is you mentioned the cast. I thought the cast was outstanding in terms of the number of people, and if you watch this film, there's like a recognizable person in every kind of part of the film. But I thought the acting was clearly like of the sort of I'm in a worthy period piece, which scene is going to be my Oscar clip for when I'm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and I thought Sean Penn was awful. He was just, really. he was just so histrionic. There were bits where he was just like frothing at the mouth. And I actually like was smirking at bits of it, just thinking like he's just going for it. So over the top and Lawrence Fox might as well have just had like a mustache that he could have twirled in the background <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I really liked the idea of it. I thought it set itself up quite interestingly. And then it just jumped from different idea to different idea. And everyone was kind of over the top. And, it just lost me completely and it's quite long as well it's it's just over two hours long you know like you said you can unsee the you know I, yeah. I didn't notice the fixed camera thing that that wasn't an issue for me but every time Sean Penn started doing something bonkers or Natalie Dormer had like came in and I, I was just cringing at this weird relationship I was just like Can we please just go back to the dictionary and some words? (laughs) What on earth is going on? And Steve Coogan was the only person who I thought added a bit of lightness to it. And and every time he popped up, which was rarely, I thought, you know, actually it had a warm character who, who seemed interesting. It's a mess, I thought. I didn't know if it was because the characters were written oddly or just because there were chunks messed up because... Eddie Marzan was the kindly prison guard, but his character didn't really go anywhere. Jennifer Earl, Earl, who played the wife, she just seemed to flip from at the start of the film, sort of dutiful, let's realise your dream, to you're an idiot, (laughs) why are we doing this? I've just remembered the bit that did jar with me was the
1: doctor starts off being very modern and very civilised and then suddenly goes completely bonkers and starts trying to poison Sean Penn. Yeah. It's just, what happened to the decent guy at the start
3: who was saying that well,
1: all these old systems of treating people with mental illness
3: don't work? For me, though, the the subject matter was interesting and, and I almost think like give somebody else give this a go and try and have a bit of focus, but it I didn't work for me at all.
2: Okay Neil um well, I quite enjoyed it. I mean, Sean Penn's fine as a genius madman is overacting with the best of them. The film's problems getting into the screen are well documentary. I mean, the easy thing to do is just join a chorus of booze a straight to video movie, I suppose it's quite good. The Natalie Dormer arc, which is a true story, apparently, threatens to overshadow the whole writing of the first dictionary. The scenes between her and penn are, I thought were the best bits. Uh, Eddie Marzan and Jennifer Earl, as I said, are sort of between the main characters' uh, work. is good. Mel Gibson in his accent. It's not his worst Scottish accent. But this is a pet project for Gibson. He dearly wanted people to hear the story of James Murray, so I guess he earned the right to be the main guy. I mean, he, he's okay, but I'm sure there's better. He could have used any of the other characters. are all better than he is. Never. <laughs> Never. <laughs> i was expecting a disaster so i was pleasantly surprised it's a bit of a mess as uh, phil said and the dialogue is lacking but it's okay it's a story that needs
4: to be told but overall an opportunity missed
2: okay darren i'm looking
0: to you to defend the mail
4: i would have preferred to read the dictionary to be honest than watch this. <laughs> 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 I thought you were too quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm with Graham. I actually thought that the, the story of it, when I read what the film was about, sounded like really interesting. The fact that Mel Gibson was playing, like you know, going against type and doing something different, I, I was quite intrigued. And I have to say, I did, I did actually think Mel Gibson was good in it, and who was quite, you know, Natalie Dormer was good in it, Steve Coogan was good in it, but the film was just so bleak and. St- Dale, I just found it a real slog to 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 get through and I I have to say Sean Sean Penn I I actually was just bored by his performance it was just so over the top and there's something about Sean Penn but when he's doing a a role like this you you can almost see him in his eyes thinking oh I'm so great Oscar Oscar you know I'm really putting myself (laughs) into this and I just you know it it just it just wound me up I just found it really slow and tedious and I, I felt bad at the end because at the end it basically shows you what happened to all the various players and when they passed away what stage of the dictionary they got to what letter so so you appreciated the amount of work that went into doing the, the dictionary but I just found the story that they were telling just so bleak and, and boring you know and just uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a little bit of a subplot where they, uh, there's a bit of intrigue behind the scenes where somebody tries to come them out of uh, a moment but I just, I just found this really hard going, really tough. And I have to say, a lot of these um, history type pieces on these things, I, I do actually find really fascinating sometimes. But this one just didn't do it for me. I, I was, I was, I was not impressed. A lot of the performances I really did like, and I liked how many, you know, good actors, uh, you know, were in it. But I, yeah, I, I couldn't take to this film. I just found it was just really bleak. Okay.
0: Uh, Mine was quite the reverse. In fact, I thought they packed so much in, it was almost like, you know, when you're looking down a Chinese menu, there's so much going on that each subplot was fascinating to the extent that the emotional heart of the film, which is the Sean Penn, Natalie Dormer story, ultimately didn't work because it didn't get enough time to breathe. Now, I think part of this problem is this was originally a three-hour film that was cut down to two hours. The director and the star notoriously walked away and, in fact, Gibson tried to sue him in court because they filmed in Ireland and not Oxford
3: for a couple of scenes that he wanted.
1: Yeah, I really missed those Oxford scenes. I don't know how they filmed <laughs> Yeah, yeah Sorry, I,
3: didn't, I, was... I, didn't, I didn't notice. Yeah, but the um, right. the director changed his name on the um he, yes. He, yes yeah not he did yeah. properly on yeah the, he
0: so. wanted it he wanted it to, to taken off which is a shame because I think Gibson is really good in this and it's a very low key performance. <laughs> it's quite sad that this has just come straight through onto Prime because I think it's a seriously underrated film. You and say and straight run, through
3: though, it took four years to come out.
0: <laughs> well, it did because of the court cases, and again I want to go back to Graham and his sort of you know fixed camera because. There's another film in recent years which also had its own problems, which is the Current Wars, which was all over the shop. Oh, Whereas God, yeah. I thought this had an interesting story, was focused, and it's not something I say too often. If it fails, it fails because it's putting too much in rather than not enough. Overall, great film for me.
3: So we can say it's definitely mixed. Yes, I think that's mixed, <laughs> and, and I think we've got a few more mixed. Neil, over to you.
2: As our view on the Professor and the Madman, we will now go to a new movie to calm Graham's excitement. From Netflix, we have The Old Guard. Who are you? You
5: can call me Andy. (laughs) I lead a group of soldiers, (laughs) fighters like you, with an extremely rare skill set. What do you mean? Let's just say, we're very hard to kill. So you good guys or bad guys? Depends on the century. So we really never die. Just because we keep living doesn't mean we stop burning. (laughs) Throughout history, we've protected this world fighting in the shadows. They're going to lock us up and weaponize us. But they've never faced an army like ours. An army of five. Shit, let's start a band.
3: I strongly recommend that we leave right now. Let's move.
5: Wait for the signal.
3: How the hell can you even tell?
1: Oh. I'm going to keep popping on all Ah, oh, no, this is more like an action film based on Greg Rooker's comic book. A team of mercenaries are hired to rescue children kidnapped in Sudan. However, the mission is a lie. The team end up tricked and murdered, except they're not really dead. These mercenaries are all immortal and their secret is filmed as they return to life. Suddenly, the hunters become the hunted as unscrupulous forces are determined to catch and dissect each of them to learn the secrets of their powers. Phil, was this movie as much fun as it sounds?
3: Yes, I think so. I think it does exactly what it's trying to do. I think it's no surprise to everyone listening that I think myself and Graham are comics nerds and probably will like this more than others. it was interesting because they actually got greg rucker to do the screenplay as well which i'm i'm not sure happens too often with comic book adaptations and it features some quite interesting world building they're trying to zip along and, and and include lots of action sequences as well but there's there's definitely a good seed sown for you know what they could do with this world it features a, a pretty solid cast so charlie speeron Matthias ups I, I think we say. Chuetta H4, you know, do a really good job. I thought the action sequences were solid. They weren't outstanding or amazing, mm. but they they were decent and they did a job. But I think it's one of those films that overall it's a really kind of entertaining diversion. And, and being a Netflix film, I'm hoping that it's done well enough that they pick up the second arc of the story and we we'll get to see a bit more. And, and hopefully they can expand that sort of world building out, maybe sort of get a better action director.
2: Neil? Action is excellent. I mean, I felt that there was a good story there. If they just stopped the endless action, if we get another film, we well, hopefully, I mean, you just they, said they, it was
0: excellent. And then now it's endless.
2: The action is excellent and it is endless. I mean, that's all there is really for me. I, I if they get another film, I think they were looking at uh, hinting at a sequel. Maybe they can flesh out some of the stories. It, hints at interesting and doesn't quite get there. It's a good basic action film with a strong female cast and director. It just I just think it could have been better.
4: Darren This reminded me of watching one of those like 80s pilots for a for a TV show where they'd sort of like you know have like a feature length um, episode that would like put loads and loads of effort in sort of uh, budget into mm. and then go off into a TV. And that's that's how it felt to me. It felt like there was a lot of world building you know, setting up. And I, I did like it. It was very ambitious. I, I, I like the character, I like the premise. I think what frustrated me a bit was I was really interested in all the stuff that was going on in their history. So when they were, like, going back into, like, sort of, like, you know, the medieval times and stuff, and, 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 you know, got this sense that they'd basically been in all, like, the major battles throughout history and everything. And that, to me, sounded really, really exciting and intriguing when we had to basically like then go back to like the modern day sort of thing, that just kind of like seemed a lot less interesting than than what their pasts were. I
3: agree with you there on,
4: on the historical stuff.
3: I just think that they didn't have the budget and and some of those scenes looked a bit ropey from a costume sort of point of view and stuff, I thought.
4: Bigger budget, they could have really done something with that. But, you know, I, I did, and I did actually like the whole, the, the, the aspect of them that they, they were mortal and they were clearly well, the, the Charlie's Ferran character, at least, was basically getting basically sick of being alive. They wanted to come to an ending, you know, So, and I think things like that were interesting. So, yeah, it was okay. The action scenes, they were fine. There wasn't anything, like, really out of the ordinary. They were just, you know, they were just sort of there. They were fine. I was interested enough in the world that they set up and everything that I would like to see a follow-up, That you know, at least one, maybe another one after that. I think sort of there was a lot of potential in this. It was fine. It felt like a Netflix film to me. It didn't feel like something that you know should mm. be in into cinema. Yeah. It felt like you know a decent Netflix film. Graham,
1: well, yeah, well, Charlize Theron as an ancient warrior. Yeah, of course, it worked for me. <laughs>
4: it worked more if
1: it'd been the Mel. <laughs> yeah, I I really enjoyed this a lot more than I thought I would. I mean, the film's almost shot for panel recreation of the graphic novel. I was not expecting it to follow the source material so closely, and that was, that was quite nice. And a refreshing change, because usually they... You know, Marvel and, and DC fiddle around with their comics an awful lot when they transfer them to the big screen. But it zipped along, and it's obviously a setup for the second movie. And the characters of the old guard, I thought, are all excellent. I liked the incredulous new girl played by, is it Kiki Lane? And I liked the Nicky and Joe. I thought they were exceptional. And Nicky's retort to the homophobic jibe when they were captured, was exceptional voice acting. I really enjoyed that. If I have one complaint, it's the same one everybody has. It's the fight scenes. I thought, oh, Charlie Theron, this will be at the atomic blonde level. Slick cinematography, hand-to-hand combat. But if you're thinking that this is going to be that level, the sort of the atomic blonde level, then you're in for a severe disappointment. It's serviceable, the fight scenes, but nothing that will remain with you down the ages. I enjoyed it. I did enjoy it. But I did think the fight scenes needed a better fight choreographer.
0: Okay. If you were to remake Highlander, that classic from the 80s, take out the camp and the sense of fun and make it politically correct, I'm afraid this is what you end up with.
3: <laughs> You're afraid that it's polit- politically correct. I'm afraid
0: it's politically Absolutely <laughs> right now. I oh, um, agree. <laughs> More on political correctness when we come and talk about my film later. Charlize Theron, who is the best female action star around at the moment. You know, things like Mad Max Fury Road, Atomic Blonde. Without a good script, you can have all the action, but it just gets boring. And I just started thinking about things like, if they just modify themselves like that, They could never have earrings or tattoos, and look, they've got them all. So you just never have that. So, uh, yeah, I I notice things like that. (laughs) I got bored. That's why, Dad. I got bored.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But all those tattoos were inverted, so they were going backward through time. So don't worry.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. (laughs) It's just. I mean, there are some really good themes that could have been interesting. You know, the whole death thing. Why eventually do they almost sort of, like, you know, get past their sell-by date? The whole betrayal. Why do you want to betray when you've got this, you know, gift that many people see it? It just didn't work. And it ends up teasing a sequel, which, like so many films I watch, it should have started at that point. That character should have been the main focus of this plot. In the end, old guard equals old story
3: for me. I'm afraid. So interesting question I to you then. The fact that the screenwriter is the comic creator, and you know they've written a six comic arc, and that's what they've adapted, and they've got another six comic arc, which I'm assuming they're going to base a sequel on. Do we think it's a weakness that it was adapted by the guy who you know was adapting his own comic? That's a good
0: question. I think, yes, I think he's too close to his own source material.
3: Well, I think,
1: no, I think it was really refreshing to see somebody completely realise their original
2: idea in film. I think the problem is you've got to get into a series of films and you've got to have some in. And I think they went for a big, bold action film with... The next one's to flesh out all the interesting bit. It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because the first film has really got to grab you by the uh, what's-its and uh, say, I want to watch all of them. I don't know whether they will do a second. It's a shame, really. No, they will. This oh, they are. Has been a, yeah, this has been a huge hit for Netflix. Oh, I'll, I'll they, definitely they look forward to that one, I
0: think. I'm up there with putting pins in my eyes for that. Okay, so let's bring this to a close. And yet again, if you are regular listeners, you'll see... We never all agree on a film. We all <laughs> have different opinions. So let's see as we move into guilty pleasures. So the challenge was for each of us to name a guilty pleasure, which we wanted everybody to watch. This resulted in some interesting choices. So let's start with Darren, who went for a sequel. And that sequel is Chores 2.
2: Jaws became the most successful film in history in the mid-70s, so of course, there had to be a sequel. Set a few years after, spoiler alert, the destruction of the original shark and life in the town of Amity has returned to normal. However, there are signs that another large shark has journeyed into the waters of Amity. At first, no one believes it except for Sheriff Martin Brody, played once again by Roy Scheider. The more the community leaders try to shut him down, the more Martin realises he will have to deal with this new horror on his own. Darren, an interesting choice. What is it about this film you like?
4: been a favourite of mine since I was a little kid. Back in my day, uh, I used to have free Betamax videotapes that I could tape off the films off the TV, and one of them I had on there for, for years was Jaws 2. I used to watch it as a double bill with the original Jaws, and I really should hate this film because... The original Jaws is one of my favourite films of all time. It, it may be my, my favourite, but there's just something about this film that it doesn't try to be anywhere near as good as the original. It, to me, it just sort of tries to be fun. And it makes things even more over the top than the uh, the first one, so for example the shark in it this shark is actually totally psychotic it 's like a serial killer where, where, where the first one was like feeding and everything it 's not even like eating people to just, you know, to, to feed it 's just attacking boats left right and center it's just, you know it 's just you know, it' like kill one person and then go straight and kill another one right after when you, when really a, you know a shark that will kill one person will be fed you would have thought. The shark even gets scarred, you know. It gets scarred with fire, so it's you know, so it looks even scarier and more menacing than the first one. It's great to be able to sort of spend a bit more time with the some of the characters from the first film. People sort of criticise it for for being like a like a slasher movie. The fact that it goes down like the Friday the Thirteenth path by centre of the film on like a bunch of um, horny. Uh, annoying teenagers all the boats are destroyed so we have to like hook them all together and it's almost like the sort of stranded like it's it's like friday the 13th but on water i really got into all the different made
0: two years before friday the 13th
4: so friday the 13th yeah yeah it
0: was made before
4: yeah yes you're you're (laughs) quite right all all these characters you've got like the the nerds you've got like the horny teens you know yeah all of them are sort of you know like, it's, you know, it's a the, the fun crowd be around. It's a fun movie. And it's also got one of the great screamers in a film any, anywhere because there's one of the girls who goes absolutely insane at the end and she's screaming nonstop. And there's a bit where she's looking at this shark and I swear to God she thought there was a shark in there because she looks absolutely terrified. She's not a great actress, but she does scared so well. It's, it's like, you know, there's, there's a look in her eye. And there are some really good, even though it's obviously it's not a director on the part anywhere with Spielberg, but I think there's some really good shots and lots scenes in it. One of the things that always sort of sent a chill from me is there's a scene where the, uh, the younger Brody um, falls in the water. This woman who's basically become a bit of a sister figure to him, she dives in after him and she basically gets him back on the boat and she's trying to get up. And the shark just comes and just swallows a hole in one go. The young kid just, like, sort of looks and screams. And then in the next scene with him, he's shaking and all traumatised. And they're all trying to basically sort of, like, scream to him because he's on this boat that's drifting off. And they're screaming at him, like, to catch this rope they're trying to throw to him. And then one of them basically just does a bit of tough love and basically tell you know threatens to beat the hell out of him if he doesn't get this rope, and that sort Darren, of scares him that, to get not- him the rope and everything.
0: We'll come back to that, kid, because I have a very different perspective on that scene, but you carry on, Okay,
4: right? yeah. No, I, and I, do, I just think it's just a, a a great scene, but he's absolutely terrified of me and gets the rope and everything. I just think it's like a really emotional moment. And actually, even though uh, you know the story is that Roy Schneider absolutely had to be dragged kicking and streaming to this, to, to do this film and he, he hated every minute of it, he got into a fight with the director, I do like his character in this because... Watching it again with adult eyes, you can see he's, he's like suffering from like a post-traumatic stress disorder. Because even though he's right and that there is a shark out there, he's obviously like completely paranoid right from the start. But when this is happening, he assumes it's a shark and he goes berserk on the beach. He shoots some fish, you know, really mistakes for a shark. And when he gets fired and everyone's sort of thinking he's lost it, you do actually get their point of view because he is acting just totally over the top and I do really like this and I think it has got some like really good jump scares the one where the uh, the, the fried body comes out of the ocean at Brody uh, that to me is almost on a par with the uh, the head appearing in the first film for just making you jump it's nowhere near as good as as jaws on, on any level but I I, I still got a uh, got a really fun um, you know horror movie kick out of it
0: so from that incisive study of the film. Let's go to a confession that Graham's got to make. Oh, shut up. <laughs> I didn't get round to seeing this. Sorry. I'm um, sorry, Darren.
1: It was a toss-up between this and the one and only. And if it's any consolation,
0: Darren, I realise I've made a massive mistake <laughs> in not picking your movie yeah, yeah, you were probably singing the song of that other film, weren't you? Chesney Hawks. Neil, <laughs> what have you got to say about Jaws 2? I... You, you did see it, didn't you? you I did. You didn't yes. like yeah, okay.
2: yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, did Jaws need a sequel? No. I mean, all through the film, as Darren has said, you know, it's it, all I could think of was just how good the original was. I mean, the original is so much better. Uh, and such fa- comparisons do this film no fa- favors. I'd, sadly, I'm sorry. Really sorry, Darren, I was bored. I mean, it's better than Jaws 3 and 4, This is all I can say, positively.
0: And in fact, that's one of the few times I'll ever agree with, Neil. This is much better <laughs> than Jaws 3 and 4. <laughs> Nobody ever sets out to make a bad film, but I think the producers set out to replicate Jaws, and, and ultimately they got through three directors doing it. John Hancock, who was first, whose script which was really good, was the basis of the novelization of Jaws 2, which is far, far better than this film. Uh, then Spielberg showed an interest in coming back, but he wanted to tell the story of the Indianapolis. Uh, and then we ended up with this a poor TV director. And as you say, um, him and Schneider clashed all the way through. For me, it was all over the shop. I didn't like it when I first saw it. I haven't changed my view What I did like, I would agree with Darren, is Roy Scheider is excellent. You got that sense from him. You also got a sense of the Amity community much more than you did in the first one. I think John Williams' score is much more complex than his Jaws score and is really good. But it goes downhill as it brings the teenage subplot in. And I just want to pick up this whole basis of the young kid. Now, Darren there said this heroic thing, you know, this kid is, is stuck on the boat. Now, I think that kid is a serial killer waiting to happen. Not the shark, it's the kid. He's there on the beach with his dad. He's the only one that's trying to comfort him when everybody knows his dad's a when he's shooting fish. And he's, like, edging him on. And then he gets his brother to take him out in the water. And he's, like, he has this little smile as the woman's taken off with the shark, and he's there sort of the centre of attention. What? I reckon that kid, Sean... He is a serial killer of the future, and I wouldn't be surprised if he was real. He's banged up somewhere now. As I say, I would agree with Neil.
3: (laughs) It is better than Jaws 3 and 4. Phil, follow that. Um, It was fine. I mean, I don't really have much to say about it. I'd never seen it before, and I watched it, and I thought it was okay. And it just, it kind of follows the same plot but it doesn't have the chemistry of the three sort of main characters because obviously they've only got Roy Scheider. It was okay. I'm not going to watch it again. It's one of those films that probably if it wasn't a sequel would be kind of, you know, like one of those sort of slasher films that go straight to DVD or what have you, kind of get a sequel out quickly to follow up that, the, the success of the first one it's better than um, some of the other films we're going to talk about.
0: Oh, <laughs> <Sure, laughs> I don't know. I don't know. So, um, Darren, I'll end with you then. Would, I mean, my my view on Sean, you you
4: bought in now, you are seen this film in a different light? No, absolutely not. I don't, I don't know where you're, <laughs> <laughs> where you're getting back from. It's just, it's, it's just, you know, he's loyal to his dad like any and son would be. He's sort of, you know, he's yeah. I, I, you I, I don't know where, where you're getting... Where are you getting that from at all. Well one thing I do like as as well is um that you can sense a bit of rivalry between Brody's kid and Mare Vaughan's kid. So so I, I which I never really picked up on before. I c I don't think they actually did try to make it like the first one, aside from the fact that there's a shark in it. They, they sort of you know, they did it more as sort of like a teen survival type movie as you know, and was, to me though, what one of the things I will say, I I think Jaws 2 is kinda of like what Jaws would have been if it weren't for the fact that it had like a a really really passionate great unknown director at the helm I do think it shows you how much Spielberg did with the source material and sort of made it into a made what is a B B movie premise and made it into one of like the most classic Hollywood films of all time
0: Let's go from one film about monsters to another, and unusually, this horror movie was selected by Graham. It's Underworld.
1: The war itself had become more perilous. The weapons had evolved. But our orders remained the same hunt them down and kill them off, one by one.
5: They are the immortal damned. One family lusting for power and wealth. The chain has never been broken, not in 14 centuries. Another driven by revenge. Soon we'll defeat the vampires on their own ground. Blood!
0: Underworld. This is the first in a series of films about a war between vampires and werewolves. Initially, Graham wanted us to include the whole series as his guilty pleasure. And the second word to him for that idea was off. So we've gone back to the beginning of the series, which started in 2003. Celine, played by Kate Beckinsale in tight fit and leather. Still no idea why you picked this one, Graham. Is a a vampire warrior known as a death dealer. Her job is to track and kill werewolves as they are the sworn enemies of the vampire race. However, as Selene joins the hunt for a human the werewolves are desperately seeking, she starts to realise that the truth of the centuries-old war may not be as her leaders told her it was. Well, Graham, why pick this spooky movie? Is it training for Halloween, perhaps? (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah, well, most people know that outside of sci-fi horror, I'm not a big fan of the genre. However, there's a little corner of the horror universe... Point out note there, putting the word universe next to horror really (laughs) annoys, Jeff. (laughs)
3: Absolutely.
1: (laughs) Great. There's one part of this particular universe I really like, and that's vampire stories. Uh, I think vampires are the most believable and scary of the uh, sort of horror genre. Um, Most other horror just doesn't have that grounded quality. So I always enjoyed vampire stories, going back to the old black and white classics on the BBC in the 60s and 70s, and up to Stephen King's Salem's Lot, and offshoots like the Blade trilogy, which was superheroes and vampires and, and even into um, things like what we do in the shadows of vampire comedy. I enjoy all can of those it, sort of things.
0: Can I recommend another vampire comedy to oh, you? Oh, hell hell. 30 Days of Night. It's, oh. it's a laugh a minute, that one. you love it. It is an excellent <laughs> film, actually. Yeah. It is a great film. And based on a comic book, I believe, Film It is, yeah. Yeah, so he gets yeah. double pleasure. Yeah. Vampires <laughs> and a comic book.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm sure that's probably... Uh, not going to be going on my list if you recommend it. You know, I like Dracula. I think he's great. The fact that they've always, with the Dracula stories, there's always like hundreds of years of backstory. And so for me, Underworld was just another vampire series. And it's steeped in history and lore. There's an awful lot going on about it. And it introduces the concept of this thousand-year war and hybrids and interspecies love, and it's stupid and clunky in lots of parts, but I really enjoy it all the same. Plus, yeah, Beckinsale in tight leather trousers is always an advantage.
0: So let me summarise. I like this because it had vampires and Kate Beckinsale in tight leather. (laughs) (laughs) Phil, let's see if you can do better.
3: Um, Do you know what? So so I I quite like this film as well. And I think it's interesting that we're reviewing it at the same time as The Old Guard because I kind of find them, they're kind of interchangeable really in terms of you've got a strong female lead who happens to be not that um, terrible on your eyes and, (laughs) and action sequences that are serviceably decent. Do you know what I was surprised by though? There's five of these films now. I've only yeah. seen the first two, I think, and I don't even remember the second one. It's unabashedly a B movie. It's got a decent budget. Um, vampires versus werewolves. As Graham said, it's clearly got enough world building because there's five of them. The action is a bit sort of repetitive. It mostly consists of people firing lots and lots of bullets, occasionally doing a super punch that knocks somebody halfway across the room. It's a little bit long. Uh, there's even... a, a an extended version, which um, I was tempted Christ. to watch. It's an extra 10 minutes, but I decided to go for <laughs> the normal version. This is version. over
2: two hours? Yeah, yeah, this is yeah. over
3: two hours, and you can get a, an extended version. It's got another 10, 10 minutes in it. Um, I think Scott Speedman, who's the, the sort of second lead, is a bit rubbish. His career mm-hmm. didn't really take off. But it's got... Bill Nye and Michael Sheen. And, and yeah, they, yep. they're both great. They know they're in a B-movie and they're like chewing her through their dialogue. I think it's really, really good fun. And Kate Beckinsale probably could have had a, a really good action career out of this. And obviously she did quite a few more of them. But yeah, no, it's fine. It's, I thought it's it's a good laugh. I think if you said, you know, the old guard or, or this, or even maybe like Extraction, you know, they're all those kind of... Um, action flicks that you'd, you know, you'd happily just sort of pass the time watching them. They're not the greatest films ever, but they're certainly enough fun to watch and, you know, every now and then.
2: Yeah, popcorn
3: movies. Mm,
2: pop. Yeah. Okay. Neil. Um, I mean, this could be one of my guilty pleasures. I really it's like It's horror, Neil. Sorry.
0: It's horror. <laughs> I don't literary. think it's a
2: horror film. It's not really a horror film. I like this movie. It's pulp with Kate Beckinsale and some other people. It rattles <laughs> along without any real depth and characterization. It's got a tonne of exposition. <laughs> uh, I mean, details like Kate Beckinsale's eyes change colour when she kills. Why? Uh, I mean, all women do that, Neil. <laughs> oh, ignore, it. ignore it and kill someone else, etc. Bill Nye, as as Phil said, Bill Nye and Michael Sheen are excellent as a uh, vampire and werewolf, respectively. It's good action if you, and you really don't have to think too hard. So uh, yeah, a really good guilty pleasure.
4: Darren, I'll be honest, I've never really gotten into this saga. I like the premise, the idea of this, like, sort of long, you know, war between werewolves and vampires and everything, but. And and the, the film, you know, looks good. The the tone's just the same, you know, the whole way through. There's no there's no levity to it. There's you know, everyone's sort of like, you know, mean and moody and it's just so cold. There's no warmth to any of the characters. Blade, you know, cracks a smile and makes jokes and you know and stuff. So oh, no, that's <laughs> a step up though. Yeah. It is, uh, yeah. But, yeah.
0: Uh, I, I think you take a, make a good point there, Darren, because the cinematography's quite washed out as well. It's colour-drained.
4: Which is interesting when it first starts, but it's like that the whole way through. And the vampires themselves aren't really interesting. But when I was watching it, it just reminded me of uh, We Are In The Shadows. That,
2: that, 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 what we do in The, what I mean, made the into a
4: BBC. That's the one, yeah. But they just felt like a, you know, a bunch of hipsters. They were just sort of, you know, they were quite sort of you know bland. <laughs> but the, the, the whole vampire culture is the, the sort of you know, locked in this sort of 18th century uh, way of life. At least in the Blade movies, they've sort of, you've got the old age vampires, but they've sort of become like, you know, they, they do like rock and roll raves and stuff and they're into rock music and a bit more style to them. And this this one, I, I just found it sort of, you know, really cold. Some, some of the action scenes scenes were good, but there were nothing, things started. I did like the, the you know, the, the opening um, gunfight on the tube train, you know, but generally speaking, I, this was a saga that I, I you know, I, I I never was able to get into it. And How many of them have you seen, Dan? I think I watched one of the uh, later ones. By, uh, I was at a friends' house and they they were watching it, and I felt the same with that. I'll be honest, I've, I've sort of I've not watched a whole lot, but I watched the first one. I watched one of the others, and it just sort of, well, like I say, it just felt really humourless, was sort of really cold.
0: I do find it interesting that these vampires against werewolves, so they shoot at each other. I find that concept rather strange, but but ultimately its length, as was mentioned uh, by Phil, is is a problem at over two hours. This is just ridiculous for 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 what it is. But you know, it's Romeo and Juliet in the horror genre, so I find that interesting. It also has an interesting comment on society, where you've got you know an upper and lower classes battle, where the vampires clearly read the Daily Mail and all they want to do is put the werewolves down. On performances, Beckinsale is okay. I don't think it's one of her greatest roles. Sheen is very good. Nye, there are times where he portrays this evil and said, no, no, come on, Bill, just do the comedy stuff, mate. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't keep doing this. And don't do that vampire sneer, because that ain't working, all right? For the rest of the cast, they were totally forgettable. And um, Scott Speedman was just bland to the point of just didn't even know why he
4: was there. Can I just ask, because you brought up the Romeo and Juliet aspect, did you buy into the, the relationship at all? Because I didn't think they had any chemistry at all, but, you know, you have this sort of this cold-blooded um, vampire killer and she, he was the one that she was basically going to fall for. I, I just couldn't buy into that at all.
0: That's a really good point. Uh, no, I did struggle with that. But the point that worked on the Romeo and Juliet for me, was the flashback with Michael Sheen and the vampire girl, the daughter of the Bill Nye character.
4: Right.
0: That five-minute sequence really did work. Yes, I think that the modern-day sequence, probably because Beckinsale's fun, but not taking this too seriously, and Speedman, to be honest, even this was beyond his range, I think. So uh, oh, oh, that's harsh Ow. So uh, I I think uh, no I I do think you've got a fair point there.
3: I think the the people who made it think think that about Scott Speedman because I did read up about some of the others and even though in this film he's like made out to be the savior of like bringing everybody together they apparently wrote him out in like the third film. Yes so, they do. Yeah. So he only appears in the first two. And for the saviour of the entire double, like, you know, both species, um, he didn't last very long. No, and I looked at his filmography the other night, there was nothing
0: notable on there.
1: So this was his high point.
0: (laughs) This was his high point, I'm afraid. Wow. (laughs) So I'm sure he's a nice guy, but unfortunately this film doesn't portray that.
2: Okay. Okay. Time to move on, and let's go to the start of another series of films, Transformers. But not as you know it. This is the eighties animated feature. Not that anybody told me. <laughs> uh, they did, because everybody else knew. But we'll come to I the fact that I didn't even know the film existed.
0: All right, we'll we'll talk a bit about Neil and the film he watched very <laughs> shortly. <laughs>
2: Oh, God, I'm going to get this every flipping time, aren't I? Yeah, like Director Doyle over there,
0: who's going to start. Oh, shush.
2: Hold on
5: tight. The most incredible rock and roll adventure ever is here. Feed him to the shark guns. Starring Judd Nelson as Hot Rod, Leonard Nimoy as Galvatron, and Orson Welles. I, Unicron. Oh, shush.
2: Beyond good, beyond evil, beyond your wildest
5: imagination. Transformers, the movie. Who'd
1: have thought that the spin-off movie from the hugely popular TV series would be the last acting role for Orson Welles? Set in the future for 1986, the Transformers' homeworld of Cybertron is now controlled by the evil Decepticons. However, the heroic Autobot leader, Optimus Prime, has a plan to gain back control of their planet. The plan goes horribly wrong, and from the ashes of that defeat, a new generation of Autobots are needed to save the day. Wow, Phil, this sounds more exciting than any of the Michael Bay movies. Does it still hold up for you?
0: Uh, actually Neil should be able to answer on the Michael Bay because he? <laughs> <laughs> he watched it
3: sorry Phil that's all right so I'm going to start this off I think we've discussed this before I'm an, I'm an 80s child so this film has a huge hold over me I was five when this released so I I knew nothing of it um, except that I grew up playing with Transformers and then one day I'm not quite sure how it came to me, but one day there was this film about the toys that I played with. How amazing was that? Phil? Yeah. Sorry, mate. Quick question. So before you saw this film, did you see the first two seasons
0: of the TV series?
3: Uh, not that I'm aware of, no. Okay. Yeah, and, and that was one of the points I was going to touch on because I don't think you need to have seen anything prior to this to, to watch this film. You know, I this... beg
0: to differ. This, oh God,
3: this, I film, difference. this film beg to This film, everything you need to know is kind of it's in the film. So, you know, I still think it is great fun. It's a really good fun film. It's got the gravitas of Orson Wells and Leonard Nimoy in the voice cast. It's got the one and only true Optimus Prime, which is Peter Cullen. But, and this is what I like about it, is it knows that optimus prime is far too pure of a character to be like the lead because it's just boring to have somebody who's just completely faultless. So what they do is they pull out hot rod and they give him the the classic hero's journey. He's your main character. It's got you've got the touch by Van Halen in it. And I know Jeff's going to say that that's used better in another film, but no, it's not. And (laughs) and
0: Uh, it's not sung better in the other film. I will admit that.
3: And it has the universal greeting. I'm going to try and say this: "Bar weep gran weep bog, which, let's face it, is absolute genius. When the cast members are just repeating it back to each other in one scene in the film, it's just phenomenal. I don't know what more you could want from it. I mean, there's robots shooting each other and beating each other up. You've got really good voice actors. You've got, you've got the touch and bar wheat, bra, nog, and um, it's so good that Netflix's War for Cybertron is lifting quite a lot of the story beats and copying it. So clearly this is canon and they have to follow some of the, the storylines in it. And you've even got Starscream, who's constantly trying to undermine Megatron slash uh, Galvatron. It's genius. And I'm going to put my earplugs in whilst you all slate it. <laughs> I won't, Phil.
0: We're going to take a slight diversion first. The Neil's going to talk about the Michael Bay film.
2: <laughs> I've just deleted all my notes. I will. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I'll read out a, a comment I, I saw on the for Wendy eyed in the Times. Films directed by Michael Bay are usually like being shouted at by a wit for two and a half hours, and Transformers is no exception. I thought that was priceless. It's, it's pointless, really. I didn't. I didn't watch the right film. <laughs> 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 no, I didn't even know there was a cartoon cartoon version. Uh, no. I so, wish I had watched the right film.
0: No, I don't think you will. Not after, no. not when Graham and I are finished. Graham, you what <laughs> did watch the right film?
1: I did watch the right. I'm, I'm going to have to take a pass on this one. I watched an hour of this and realised. I've no context. I've never played with these toys. I don't know what's going on here. Who oh, the <laughs> hell are these people? Why are they going wee bop, whatever that was you said, so to <laughs> I, I, My only experience in the franchise is the Michael Bay movies, which are universally
0: dreadful. Uh, except for um, the shots where women get out of cars. Oh,
2: God. Oh, yeah, right, yeah, okay. There's a lot uh, of
3: that.
0: <laughs> it just seemed to me
1: like... When you see a Saturday morning cartoon and then they say, we're going to make a film out of this, you expect the production values to go up significantly. And they didn't for this. <coughs> I thought I was watching like a one and a half hour Saturday morning cartoon. It's n- I'm not this movie's demographic. This is not for <laughs> me. I am not a child of the, the 80s. I wish I was, but I'm not. And yeah, I just thought, you know, the step up in scale and presentation of the story I just ended up disliking the whole experience. It's
4: not for me.
0: So, someone that's going to come to your rescue now, Phil, Darren.
4: The first film that Orson Welles was involved in is considered one of the greatest films of all time. <laughs> and I think it's <laughs> <laughs> it fitting. it wasn't until his very last film that he managed to be involved with something which was just as great.
0: Yes. I'm going to go back over my serial killer story for Jaws 2 because you've just topped it.
4: <laughs> oh, good I absolutely love this film. I, 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 I'm... <laughs> I belong to this set of friends who have never been able to grow out of the Transformers. We watch the TV show. I used to read the Marvel comic. I used to read the British version of the Marvel comic, so- which was absolutely. Sorry, awesome. Darren, Darren,
0: Darren, you just dropped a clangor there. Well, are you saying this was a Marvel comic as well? <laughs> only explains it.
4: Marvel got the adap- adaptation to do the uh, to their version of the Transformers. So yeah, they had a Mar- they, they had a, a tie-in. It was supposed to be a four I, issue I limited series, but it did so well. it became like a. Uh, it went on for about a hundred issues. This one's great. It starts off just like the first couple of minutes. It looks like it's just going to be like an extended version of the TV show, and then in the very first battle, you see. Prowl get killed, you see brawn get killed, you see Ratchet and Einhide get killed. And they get because we're robots, we get killed in this like really brutal way with sort of sparks flying out the mouths and you know getting shot through the chest and like the heads blown off and everything. You get this fight to the death of Optimus Prime and Megatron, it's absolutely awesome. And Starscream was like everyone's favourite villain gets disintegrated it's as a kid as a fan of the transformers you're in shock of this it's killing off all your old favorites it's great and the soundtrack to this <laughs> the soundtrack to this film is awesome it's just it's just you know if you're into your hair rock like i am it's just one sort of i've actually got this in my car and i listen to if i've had a bad day at work i'll listen to this <laughs> on my way home it's awesome it's fantastic and, you know, and yeah the the animation's not like what it is today but you know it's just a fun movie i've probably bought more versions of this than any other film because they did the <laughs> um the british <laughs> cut <coat. coughs> this like british cut and then they did uh, which was like a lot inferior to the american cut and then they have the they, they released the american cut and then they keep doing these like extended well these like um you know where the god almighty
0: not not extended
4: <laughs> but clean up all the um or the sound and everything. just In fact, you actually mentioned Extended. Everyone's going on about the Snyder Cut and adding all these scenes into Justice League. I want the original cut of this movie because there were loads of scenes that they storyboarded <laughs> that they never actually filmed. And in these scenes, you get even more of your old favourites getting killed. You see Mirage getting killed and all these other Transformers or Skywarp and Thundercrack. You see how they get destroyed. I want someone to go back and, and animate all those scenes and make this a two, a two hour epic that it deserves to be.
3: Shall we start a hashtag right down?
4: Yeah, we will. We will, we will start this. <laughs> <laughs> my, only, my only complaint about this film is there's a lot of continuity errors where you see characters get killed off <laughs> and then you see them later in <laughs> the background shots. So that needs to be sorted. And I don't like how they portray the Dynabots in this because they've got them as these like real like like Lenny from uh, of mice and Men type characters. Where in the Marvel comic they represent them more as like this badass biker gang, which I preferred a lot more. So so, so yeah, so the Dinobots characterization I'm not totally on board with. But I love this film. I think there's a certain viewer and a certain time, particular and I have to say mostly male that Gets goosebumps when they see Optimus Prime fighting through Decepticons while you've got the touches playing in the background. Oh, it's that's just awesome. amazing. I, I, you got touch. <laughs> that scene is amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. fabulous. Now, that's an action scene. That's the sort of action scene we should have had in the old guard. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I, I, I love this film. And it's got Optimus Prime dying. Do you know how many kids were traumatised by this?
0: Yeah, it's the Bambi of <laughs> the 80s. <Yeah. laughs>
4: yeah. There's a story behind this as well. They made a G.I. Joe cartoon movie around about the same time. And in that one, one of the characters, I think it was Duke, was going to get killed off in the same way Optimus Prime was. And there was such a backlash from parents or, or the kids were crying in the cinema that they had to rewrite the G.I. Joe movie they didn't have time to redo the animation so we just added a little bit of dialogue at the end that said like oh duke's come out of his coma he's alive they had to do that <laughs> had to do that because of the backlash we had due to the optimus prime being killed and so, some films have like
3: one villain in them and you know that's all they get to live with just one sort of half decent villain this has got unicron galvatron Starscream, and Megatron.
4: I mean, it's just amazing. I mentioned I mentioned the sound the uh, the, the soundtrack. The score's good as well. Cause it's got this like electrotype type f- theme to it, especially the scene where Megatron turns into Galvatron. If you compare this to other um, cartoon movies where they basically just do an extended run, they've actually made an effort on this film. It may not be in the animation, but certainly in the cast they got in and certainly in the uh, the, the, the music and everything, they, they actually tried with this.
3: <laughs> <laughs> we'll end it there then, shall we? Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I just sat here listening to a whole list of names being thrown out of all these characters dying in this film and I couldn't tell you any of them were. I am definitely not the target audience. Tenant makes more sense than this. Ooh. And more on that <laughs> next time. <laughs> yeah, I gotta agree with Graeme. It, it it the animation is cheap. I like that song The Touch, but quite honestly, to have liked this, I'd have to be touched. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> I I just and and that whole business of you know killing all these characters off, all of that was because they wanted to create a new Transformers toy range. So they killed them all off. So not only is it like Capitalist,
3: it's (laughs) capitalist crap. Don't ruin all the fun that I had with my Rodimus Prime toy, Jeff. I enjoyed (laughs) that a lot.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I
0: I wish I'd been like Neil and watched Michael Bay by accident. (laughs) I I just didn't understand. And and this is the last film of Orson Welles. Nice one, Darren, trying to pass it off as a classic there. (laughs) And (laughs) Scatman Crothers. I'm just stunned. I I think after this, we need to speak about a film of real quality.
2: (laughs) From one movie very much of its period, Jeff Choice, the one and only.
5: Hello, Milton. Who are you? Andy. I'm through. What do you want, Milton? I'm busy. Sydney, I just passed by to see. Look, jerk, I told you I'd call you if I got your match. Why is it every time I look at you I want a shrimp cocktail? No offence, go stand in the wastebasket. Who are you? A non-talking schmuck walks in with a midget. Andy Schmidt. Who cares? I... You're too little. We got ushers bigger than you. Leave, I gotta take a crap. Uh, Actually, I'm an actor. I can do anything. Can you walk out of here? You know you're not a bad-looking kid? You're Fagula? I know. I got a kid at home. You mentioned Fagula as a real fruitcake, this kid. We wanted a boy. We came close. I love him like a daughter, this kid. So you want to wrestle, huh? Sidney, it could be fantastic. It's funny. Look at this. Sneezy has an opinion. Milton, when I want to hear from you, I'll look down. You could mail him to St. Louis for under a dollar you got a nice face, kid. Grandmothers like a nice face. I'm sorry about your body.
2: As it's Jeff's choice, you can be assured it would be some obscure nonsense from the 1970s. 19... Oh, there it is. Yep. Yeah. <coughs> At the height of his fame on Happy Days, Henry Winkler made this comedy in which he plays a conceited person who believes he's super talented while everyone else sees the truth about him. I want to see where you picked it now, Jeff, in a desperate <laughs> effort to get the fame he thinks he deserves, Andy Schmidt decides to make become a wrestler, just as the sport becomes big on TV in the 1950s, and so to the wrestling character, the lover is born, and all similarities to Jeff end right there. Go on, tell me where you picked this film, Jeff. Well, quite simply, it's one of the funniest films ever made. Oh, the one-liners
0: are just brilliant. You know, I mean, Gene Sachs as the as the coach. You know, things like saying so about him and his wife said, "We wanted a boy, we came close." Um, or lines like when he goes into their apartment uh, in New York, he says, "I thought you could only rent rooms like this by the hour." Um, I, Henry Winkler. Playing against type, clearly wanted to step outside of the Fonz role, which by this time he was getting bored with. So he plays this most conceited character that hasn't got any talent, but is so funny with it. And you've got on the one side him who's really annoying, and on the other side you've got Kim Darby, his long-suffering wife, but who's really likeable, and that balance. But then when you've got a great supporting cast around it, who have Villa Chase, William Daniels, and uh, Gene Sachs, It's just superlative entertainment. And I think, you know, clearly this was a role model for Tim Burton for when he made Ed Wood, because you've got many of the similarities of Ed Wood is in this character of Andy Smith. This is a guy with no talent, but he just believes in himself to the nth degree. It's no wonder that Sarah Silverman calls this the funniest comedy ever made. It has a very strong moral centre.
2: Where? (laughs) (laughs) What? <laughs> yeah 1950s moral center no no, yeah. no. It, it, it is and also it's so funny it
0: should be anybody phones the samaritans they should say to them go watch the one and only <laughs> oh, it geez. will save your life it will cheer you up so oh, <laughs> and the icing on the cake apart from the funniest one-liners the late carl reiner who unfortunately passed away earlier this year but just what a comic talent he had and patrick williams the best music score of his career. There is nothing you cannot love about this film. It is fantastic. Is that a challenge? Darren, over to you.
4: Yeah, I mean, I remember seeing this when I was a kid one (laughs) one Sunday afternoon. And I I liked it then. I've got to say, re-watching it, I really thought Henry Winkers' character was really annoying. And, and really cringe. I mean, the, the things where he like, takes over the play and everything, I, I just thought he oh, was really cringy. Um, oh,
0: did he? But- I, when, when he has the spear and he almost castrates that guy, I was in mm-hmm. tears <laughs> rolling down my face.
4: Yeah. For, for me, where, where I got in general, <laughs> being, being a, a wrestling fan, is when it got to the wrestling thing and where he, where he basically found his calling, where he sort of, you know, he found his sort of extravagance personality, where he had something to basically focus on. And for for me but the what made this film really worth watching was his performance as the lover when he 's walking down to the ring and he's interacting with the crowd. I just thought Henry Rinker <laughs> was absolutely hilarious you know yes. it was it was just, it was just yeah. absolutely you know you know a, a, a amazing it was just so sort of camp and everything i mean i'm and just you know, where he sits on the guy's knee and everything, and you you could just see on his face, he just seemed to be absolutely having the time of his life. I, I think that scene was just was just incredible, and, and the whole sort of performance. So, so for me, you know, the, the wrestling thing really saved it for me, and you know, the, the the lover was amazing. So, but the um, you know, it and between, he's
0: based on a real person, isn't he?
4: It's influenced a lot by the gorgeous Sir George character. that was one of the first TV celebrities. And uh, you know, and basically sort of like you know, set wrestling up as being like a really big deal on television. He he basically had a sort of like a, a similar sort of character, like a sort of like a like an English dandy type character. So it's very much based on that. I don't know if the actual story is is based on his life or not. I don't really know enough about him. I did find his character quite irritating. At times, I was thinking to his girlfriend, "Why are you with this guy?"
0: Thank you for that, Darren. A very balanced review for something completely different, Graham. <laughs>
1: Hmm. uh, To to be honest, Jeff, I think watching this film made me realise that you fully understand the phrase guilty pleasure. I mean, more like shameful pleasure was what I got out of
0: it. He's one of my heroes. I wish I could be like him.
1: God, it was awful. I I don't think even in the late 70s this was considered a good movie. I mean, it's just one... Long series of terrible acting. Sorry, long... who
0: was acting terribly in this?
1: All of them. Everybody was. Oh, well, William bad. Daniels this. No, apart guy, the from. Apart oh, apart from, from him. No, 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 not not him. No, apart from Kim Darby, I thought was excellent and very funny, and she had some of the best lines in it. But God Almighty, just a lot non-stop series of homophobic jokes. Name one. In- In- joke. Come oh, on. na- <laughs> We bought him a football and he decorated it. <laughs> no, that's oh come, funny. My- come <laughs> that's- on! Sorry, I
2: shouldn't laugh. I know. Sorry, bro.
1: <laughs> and then it was interspersed with misogyny and, ra- and racial slurs about I never the, saw uh, that the-, either. the 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 Native American guy. God, that was shocking. And then the. Endless jokes at the expense of the uh, people of short stature. It was terrible. The poor guy. Her villain
0: said it was one of the best filmmaking
1: experiences he ever had. Yeah, probably he was getting paid a lot. Yeah. There are some funny one-liners. I did laugh uh, quite a few times, but it's just drowned out by this constant stream of derogatory slurs. I never heard one. Uh, Of course you didn't. Exactly. Because it's your shameful pleasure, isn't it?
2: Most of us yeah. brought uh, guilty pleasures. Uh, yeah. Jeff got a shameful one. Yeah,
1: he got a shameful uh, next one.
2: Next time, I'm going to pick
0: the movie, the the, the movie of Love Thy Neighbor.
1: No, <laughs> exactly. See what I mean? Yeah, I, I'm not trying to be all 21st century and woke and all yeah, of that nonsense, not. but this is offensive. Come on,
0: no, Jeff. It's, it's not uh, serious. The Samaritan should be putting it on their yeah. film list. <laughs> It'd stop It would stop so many people who were just lonely and depressed and upset. <laughs> It would make them feel better
1: <laughs> would not I'm sure you did this deliberately, Jeff, so that we'd all have
0: to watch this no. answers now I'm sure Phil will disagree with you,
3: Phil, so the only reason this isn't the worst film that we watched this month is because um it's shorter oh. than um that Mel Gibson film. <laughs> um, I mean, what's the, what is there to say? I mean, obviously, I'd never seen it before because no one would have done in their right mind. Um, what? But Andy, I Schmidt, saw it twice in the cinema. Uh, so essentially, what you've got is you've got Andy Schmidt, who is one of the most obnoxious, annoying people, and always wants to be the centre of attention. Apparently, winning the heart of this woman, even though he's a complete idiot. I could not get my head around that at all in any way, shape, or form, how she's like, thinks he's amusing. Like she's, he's like a wounded puppy she needs to look after or something. For the first hour or so, I think Darren said this, it was just dire. And then the wrestling stuff pops up. Who who knew it was a wrestling movie? I certainly no, didn't. I didn't. No, I didn't. know. And, you know, then there was some funny moments with him acting, you know, like doing some. so my favourite wrestler that he did was the hypnotist, and the woman in the crowd's reaction to the <laughs> hypnotist, and, yeah. and the German and the Nazi, I thought was quite um, good. You know, that was quite funny, but otherwise it was just dire. And, and what's oh. one of the things that I, I find really frustrating? And I've said this before with the other and that John Wayne film you picked for us a while ago. What is is it with films from this era where they've got people in their early to mid-30s playing 21-year-olds? It just... (laughs) There's scenes at the beginning where they're at university and you've got these two people who look, frankly, older than I do now. like And it's like, (laughs) what... They're meant to be 21 at uni. What the hell's going on? It's just random. While you've been
0: randomly talking there, Phil, I've just dug out my best films of 1978, right? So... In 1978, number one was Close Encounters, number two, Saturday Night Fever, number three was The One and Only, number four
3: was Star Wars. <laughs> well, that I mean, genuine.
0: We... I
1: rest my case. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
3: I'm not sure you should be rolling that out, Jeff. <laughs> 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 I mean... Oh, there's mental institutions for him, like in the yeah, other
1: yeah, film. The Samaritans are on the line as we yeah, speak.
3: Indeed, yeah. yeah. So up for <laughs> us. I mean, all I, I just, you know, I wouldn't recommend it.
0: Clearly not. Well, let's hopefully Neil watch the right film and not listen to the Chesney Hawk song, the
2: one and only. <laughs> would yeah. <laughs> that would have been better. I wish the film would hurry up during the first act, probably the first half, really, actually, like Phil said. And that, but then it did get going, and I guess that would be the bit where it started going to the wrestling. And I kind of enjoyed it. I, I yeah, yeah I always it. liked Neil. Yeah, I did enjoy it. Henry Winkler is suitably over the top. I mean, I'm talking about the second half, the last two acts, suitably over the top. The first act was just shocking. I was trying to work out how I was going to keep my eyes open for the first act. King Darby, as I said before, is she's excellent in the straight role, especially when she's repeatedly asking to speak to the real Andy Schmidt rather than the one of his characters. I was with her with that one. And there are very many great lines, and if you take away the ones that um, Graham likes. There's still some great lines in there.
0: So all in all, we really enjoyed that one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Graham, I leave that to you to finish up.
1: Thanks for that discussion on a very funny comedy, says Jeff. Lastly, we go to Neil's choice. Rather strange, man on fire.
3: There were 24 kidnappings in Mexico City in the last six days.
1: Have you protected a lot of children before, Mr. Creasy? Yeah,
3: I don't know. Bodyguards gotta be close to people. You know, I'm no good at that.
0: You're the silent type. People are gonna appreciate that.
2: 16 years of military experience, extensive counter terrorism work. What happened to your hand? It's
5: a birth defect.
2: No, it's not. I regret that your profession needs to exist.
5: So do I, Marjorie.
2: He's like a bear. Yeah? Big, sad bear. Good
3: things happen too, crazy Yeah? Like what?
4: Like meeting me. Gracie,
5: you're smiling. Peter! Peter! Run! I'm gonna go get her. Anyone who gets in my way. Anybody who profited from it, anybody who opens their eyes at me.
0: Until now all of the guilty pleasures have been fun movies although listening to some of those reviews you wouldn't think so only neil could pick something angst filled and call it a guilty pleasure john creasy played by the great denzel washington is a man with a violent past one that now haunts him a friend recognizes all the signs of burnout and self-destruction within creasy and persuades him to become a bodyguard for someone he knows in mexico city this job guarding a child Will change John's life forever. So, fun loving Neil, why did you pick this movie?
2: I um, will a backstory. I did get the DVD from you, Jeff. I think it was you. I gave you a lift somewhere, and uh, I immediately loved it. I can remember your comment on the film. This is highly underrated, but it's really good. I mean, the critics destroyed it. Some of the comments are terrible. I mean, yeah, a, they
0: they also destroyed the one and only Neil. It's a,
2: really? Really? God, I wonder why. <laughs> yeah. It's cracking good yarn with a brilliant Denzel Washington, Crystal Walken, and then then ten year old Dakota Fanning, all on excellent form. I like the style. Tony Scott keeps oh, it moving no. and the jump cuts. I I I like the way it does it. It it's Mexico and it's it's all sort of um Bright lights and it keeps you off your guard. And Mexico is a can be a scary place. The film rattling along in the first half, you can't keep your eyes off Denzel Washington for a moment, a man who can't forgive his own misdeeds and is utterly believable. But then, who slowly begins to care for the child he's guarding. Kind of sort of religious moment in there, um, where the sort of um, where he asks for some sort of sign where he can. Uh, Uh, redeem himself when he tries to fire the gun with a perfectly good bullet and it doesn't fire. Second half is electric, a revenge on deep personal terms set up by the first half. The plot, I guess it is a touch weak. Denzel Washington fills the gaps for me and then some. It's an excellent film, savaged by the critics. And I have a question, did they have an agenda against Tony Scott?
0: possibly, for that directorial style, I would have said. Darren,
2: mm, yeah, did... I mean, it doesn't work all the time, does it? I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, once in a, 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 occasionally, and it will probably irritate everybody, but, yeah, it's, it's, I kind of like the whole style in this film. Okay. So did Tony Scott's
4: um, camera work annoy you, Darren? <laughs> yeah, it did. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it would
2: the, do, I suppose, yeah.
4: The thing about this film, it was really frustrating because I, I, I like the story, Denzel Washington going on a rampage and like beating the hell out of the people is always fun. And and I really did like the fact that at first I started to think it was a bit slow paced, but I liked the fact that they built up the relationship that he had with the young girl that he was protecting because that basically made it right like, sort of emotionally involved when it came to him going to the rescue and everything. And I thought the ending where you know was absolutely Chilling. I thought, I thought it was a chilling way to to end the film. Mm. the The thing that really took me out of it, what was the style? You know, mm. it's and, and I can I can get maybe that's what they we were going for. They we were going to try, trying to show his descent and everything. But I just found it really off putting and distracting. All, the, all these camera angles from out of nowhere. and these these like echoey and, and blur type um, filters. That it was putting off. It really felt like somebody was making a film, and had found all these really cool features on the camera. So they were just sort of like, you know, just pressing things just to see what happened. It just sort of, <laughs> it, it really it, that really spoiled it for me. And the story and Denzel Washington, that, that was like enough for me. I was enjoying that. I didn't need to see all this sort of like this craziness. If they could do a cut where they basically just cut all that out and just, you know, I'd, I'd really like this movie. But to to me, that's the thing that, that spoiled it. And I, I found like a, a, a bit of a headache. But but aside from that, you know, the actual, you know, the, the story, the action, you know, was, was great. But it just, you know, it, Played, have it with my eyeballs.
1: Graham. Yeah, I had the same problem. I I thought the film was great, uh, but I thought the weird camera work which it was just awful. I just drove me mad and researched it and apparently it's more the fault of the director than the cinematographer, so But I still thought it was a great film. It really gripped you quite early on and you think, oh, what's happening here? What's going on? And then you get introduced to the girl and you think, oh, that's nice. And then it gets better. And, you know, the characters of the second act really fill out. And then, as Darren said, the third act is just off the chart and really, really quite horrendous at the end i mean i thought everybody was great i thought denzel washington was on fire yeah pardon the pun i thought christopher walken played himself which was wonderful to go to fanning was perfect as that child their mother and father were about the weakest characters mickey Rourke was great during the 10 seconds he was on screen could have done a, with a bit tighter editing a little bit shorter but it was an excellent Saturday night with Chinese takeaway film. I loved
0: it. Yeah, I'm pretty much this, I'm going to agree with both you and Darren on this. I think that in the heart of this film, there's a really great story, well acted. Every now and again, Tony Scott brings it up by kicking the camera. Uh, I just think it is overlong. Interestingly, a lot of the Washington, Washington Walken scenes were ad-libbed. Um, which is just mm. incredible. And also some of his scenes with Dakota Fanning were ad-libbed as well. So it just shows the quality of the acting in there. Yeah. It just didn't need, I think, Tony, what Tony Scott was trying to do was make an art movie. And that even goes into the music. you got Harry Gregson Williams' score. But then at one point in there, I was thrown out the film completely. Because, and I guess you guys spotted this as well when they were playing the, the music for The Chase from the film Against All Odds. I mean, what's going on? Why is that in there? I guess you guys were thrown out by that as well. There's an overuse of Claire de Lune, which threw me back oh, yeah, to, that was a bit to, to The Hunger, um, Tony Scott's first film, So, uh, which is very much an art movie, horror movie type thing. The only thing I'd say is the ending's bleak, but the ending should have been bleaker. The character he's, going out in the revenge trail for should have been dead. I think by bringing that character back at the end weakened it a little bit for me. You needed to go all out black, kill that character off. But other than Hmm. that, yeah, um, I'm pretty much in agreement with everybody else. What about you, Phil?
3: Yeah. I mean, I know that we were picking our own guilty pleasure, um, but this is the best film that we're reviewing tonight, in my opinion. You know, it's a film about revenge and redemption it's about an alcoholic, suicidal man who goes and tortures and murders people, but it's really enjoyable, and I don't think that's a, a mean feat. You know, it's, it is a really sort of dark and brooding action movie, and it's the best thing we've watched this month. I was going to talk a bit about the music actually, and, and a bit about the style because you know, Tony Scott made. Seven action films between Enemy of the State and his death. Um, his final film was Unstoppable, and Enemy of the State is kind of where he started to do this thing: the fast-paced editing, color saturating, zooms, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. All of those action movies after that film. So I think there was like Domino, um, Deja Vu, um, this Unstoppable, and a couple of others. They all, to some extent you know, did that weird visual aesthetic. And I think this one is possibly the most that he he does it. When this came out, I thought it looked amazing. I thought it was really original and exciting and interesting in the way that the subtitles appear at different positions on the screen and kind of come up word by word um, as people say them. Watching it again now, the fact that he does... You know color saturation, zoom, blurry images, obscuring images, slow motion, freeze frames, sometimes doing it all at once it's It makes it immediate and frenetic, and sometimes it makes you feel a bit sick as well but i I like it, I think it 's interesting and unique. The music which you mentioned, Jeff, is really schizophrenic as well, it kind of yes. matches it matches this freneticness and you know, so you've got you mentioned Claire de Lune, which is obviously a nice classical piece. It's got Linda Ronstadt sort of country rock in there. It's got Lisa Gerrard who provided the main theme for Gladiator, and obviously you know the Scott brothers produced and and made this, so they could probably like you know share ideas and stuff. And then the the best music in there, of course, is Nine Inch Nails, which kicks in when. Um, denzel washington's character is about to destroy somebody and it kind of like throws you out you've got like this beautiful choral music industrial rock classical piano and a bit of country in there for different points in the film you know i really enjoyed it i think that the editing and the music is as frenetic and as downbeat to sort of represent the lead character's mindset And I loved the performances. I think everyone I loved in it has been mentioned already. I really liked Mickey Rourke and Christopher Walken in their very small roles. And I think Denzel Washington and Dakota Fanning were great. But yeah, I love this film. I think it's really good. It's certainly, I think, Tony Scott's best of that sort of action era of, you know, just before he died.
1: The one line that stood out for me, and I loved it when Walken delivered it, was when he said that people can be artists with food or with colour and light. Denzel Washington's character is an artist with death and he's about to create his masterpiece. That's a fantastic line, isn't it? Great line. And he delivers it so coldly and you think, Mm.
2: oh, right, some shit's about to go down then. Some of the critics said that they didn't like it because it was basically two films i thought that was kind of the point wasn't it yes but yeah yeah, i thought it was unfairly done done for done to. so uh yeah okay i picked that one
0: fair enough well that wraps up our reviews graham that's our
4: reviews done let's speed over to darren's dash darren over to you Okay, so first film I'm going to talk about is uh, Unhinged, which is about a, a young woman who's taking a uh, boy to school. She's having a really bad start to her day, and she uh, she comes to a crossing at a road, and the guy in front isn't moving, so she paps him. Uh, unfortunately for her, the guy who she's just papped is uh, actually already on the run after slaughtering his family that day, and he basically takes offence to this, he starts to follow her, to stalk her he uh, he manages to get a hold of her phone so he has access to her private life and he basically decides to basically give her the worst day of her life he starts to take down her entire family and friends and he's basically slowly working his way to her. She was rude though
0: you've got to accept that
4: (laughs) jeez, man oh boy god Moving on. Okay. So this was the first film that I saw in a cinema after, uh, once after they uh, opened again. It was the perfect film to actually come back to. It, I, this had, this had me on the edge of my seat, absolutely terrified by, um, Russell Crowe, who basically, even though he was this fat, overweight guy, he was absolutely terrifying and really annoying as well. Cause he, cause he just, he, he just, would have this belief in what he was doing was totally righteous. Um, the film itself had lots of crazy car stunts. It had plenty of like really jump moments in there. It was a perfect film to just lose yourself in and remind you why you actually go to the cinema because it was just sort of so effective on the, on the big screen. I absolutely loved it. I really got in, into the chase. People have been comparing this to Falling Down. I, I get that, but I also felt it was a bit of um, duel. Oh which was the Steven Spielberg film where the guy basically starts getting uh, stopped by a mysterious guy in a truck. It was bonkers. It was over the top. But, you know, for for me, this this was like a really good first film back. It was really exciting. It was very gory in places. You can can say it, it basically stretched credibility, but, you know, if i'm going to a cinema I, I, I don't want credibility i want lots of jump scares i want lots of action and i want a really really vicious bad guy and this is what this had just a minor
0: point uh, i wouldn't see him as totally bad i think he had some redeeming <laughs> qualities i i actually thought at one point it was an audience participation film i was standing up cheering when he killed the divorce lawyer Oh, and realised I was the only person cheering. <laughs> Clearly I was in an audience full of divorce lawyers. Yeah. Um yeah, I agree. I loved it. You've seen it, film. Yeah, in.
3: yeah, I've seen it. So it was also the first film that I saw back at the cinema. And it is it's a great palate cleanser after, you know, not being for so long. You know, it's a 90-minute brisk simply plotted really efficient sort of action thriller i thought it was really really good the similarity to falling down i, I it sort of applies but you can kind of understand and sympathise with um, Michael Douglas's character. And despite Jeff's sociopath uh, sort of behaviour, <laughs> you absolutely shouldn't sympathise with Russell Crowe. But I thought Russell Crowe was brilliant. I mean, obviously, he's kind of moved on now from leading man, sort of good looks. And I think that this and the Ned Kelly film that he appeared in earlier in the year, really, really good, darker performances from him. Really enjoyed it.
4: Okay, so my, my next one was a Netflix film, and this was um, Eurovision, the story of Fire Saga. Uh, this one's got Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams, who are oh, uh, God. Wh- lifelong friends. They're a, a singing duo who have become obsessed with winning the Eurovision Song Contest for Iceland. They're a bit of a joke. They play sort of small gigs. Everyone, everyone basically laughs at them in the small town because they think they're completely ridiculous for having this dream. And by a few coincidences, um, mainly being all the other qualifiers for Iceland getting killed in a boating accident, they managed to get the uh, the Icelandic nomination and to go through to the Eurovision Song Contest. I'm a fan of musicals anyway. I actually do enjoy the Eurovision Song Contest, even though all the, all the other nations in Europe are all uh, biased against us for some reason and never give us any votes. Um, I wonder what I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of Eurovision, I'm not a fan of Will ferrell And um, aside from Anchorman, I find him really annoying and, and frankly really, really creepy. Yeah, I actually liked him in this and I actually had a lot of fun with this movie. For me, it struck the right chord of basically taking the Mickey out of the Eurovision and going into all the ridiculous and all the topness of it. But yeah, doing it with a bit of a warmth and, and a tribute to it, that was, wasn't sort of slaughtering it. It was just basically sort of making fun, but you know, in a sort of in, in a nice way. So, so you appealing to the Eurovision fans. It was a really colorful movie. I really enjoyed it. You know, the, the songs were very Eurovision like. You know, you, you could actually, the, the scary thing was a lot of the people in there. You could actually imagine them being Eurovision Song Contest contestants. A a lot of the Netflix comedies are are basically sort of, for me, second rate. But because I'm a Eurovision fan, this one really worked for me. I I really enjoyed it. I think if you like Eurovision, you'll get a lot of the gags. There's there's a long segment about halfway through that's got this montage of all different Eurovision personalities and stuff doing like a big sing-along. It's one of the more original risk-taking films that Netflix has done, and for me, it totally worked. I really enjoyed it. Okay, next then, Darren. Okay, so, Baby Teeth. So, this is an Australian movie, and it's a coming-of-age drama. It's about a young girl called Milo, who is basically battling... Well, she's basically got terminal cancer. And one day at a train station, she comes across a drug dealer called Moses, who she basically becomes besotted with, uh, becomes friends with him, falls for him, and she takes him home to her uh, bourgeois parents uh, one evening, which causes obviously lots of tension and problems. But they sort of tolerate him being around because he basically, in a weird sort of way, makes her happy, even though they have a very sort of back and forth relationship where... One minute he's sort of like taking her out and sort of showing her like you know good time at parties and stuff like that, and then the next one he's trying to rip her off for her drugs and stuff like that. This was a real roller coaster. It plays on a lot of emotions because you're happy to see Maya sort of experiencing you know life while she can, um, but at the same time you, you sort of you're really uneasy about this relationship with Moses. But sometimes it's good for her, sometimes it's not. Her parents as well, they, they have their issues. Um, the Mum in particular she seems to be hooked on them, prescription drugs. Her dad's having sort of a, a weird attraction to this uh, to this neighbour. I really got into the d- dynamic of, of this film, the drama, the drama of it all. At times it's moving, at times it can be sort of uplifting and joyful. and mean, it can switch to being absolutely... There's some scenes in it that are very harrowing and really upsetting, but I really liked it. It didn't sugarcoat anything for you. It, it presented that, you know, these were people with problems. It never took the easy way out with any of them. There were bits where they would be redeemed, but then they'd go back on themselves. I thought this was a great film. It, it was. It was had a beautiful color palette to it. it. You know, it was sort of like got one of these sort of like very urban type movie, but very colorful as as, as well. Um, it reminded me a bit of like films like the Florida Project.
0: Uh, interesting you say that. I mean, I didn't get the same enjoyment out of it that you did. I, you know, the the fact that they were trying to make this rather than a disease of the week movie that you would get on a lot of TV films. You would you were trying to get the Day to day struggle with somebody in that condition. Um, And for that reason, I didn't particularly like it. I didn't like much of the characters. I thought towards the end it picked up. But it kept reminding me of an old British movie called A Day in the Death of Joe Egg, which had the same sort of matter of factness about, you know, dealing with an illness. And again, I really didn't... I, I struggled with that film as well because of the way they were projecting it. But, Phil, you've seen it, and I think your take is very different to mine.
3: Yeah, I mean, this is on my long list of best films of the year. I thought it was really, really good. It's got some beautiful photography. There's moments of joy. There's moments of sorrow. Eliza is brilliant in it, and um, I couldn't recommend it enough. It's a shame, I think, that it's not on the cinema still because... There's not much on at the cinema, and this is such a good film that yeah, I feel like maybe it could have got a bit of a longer run, but obviously not enough people yeah. went.
4: Okay, next one. Okay, How to Build a Girl. So uh, Beanie Feldstein plays a young school lass uh, from a struggling working-class family in Wolverhampton, and she's trying to make something of herself. She, um, she's a bit of a uh, an outcast at school. And she responds to an ad in a, a a music magazine who are looking for new critics. So she submits a review of the musical Annie, and then she gets invited to the offices, and finds that she's basically been brought in there just for them to make fun of her and take bets on whether or not she was a real person. But she manages to convince them to give her a shot as a journalist. She absolutely falls in love with the uh, with the music scene. But you know, she gets to do interviews, she gets to cover concerts and everything. But after a while, she finds that the trick to being a music journalist in this magazine is not to be, like, uplifting like she has been doing, but to write really bitchy and aggressive and scathing reviews of her <laughs> musicians.
1: And so, oh, she... I wonder who that's
4: based on. Right. <laughs> so she creates kind of like an alter ego for herself. She, she basically starts to dress with this sort of top hat and basically creates this character. And she actually becomes a celebrity as, as this character called Dolly Wilde. This film hits all the usual plot points. She basically becomes a success and uh, and everything, and it gives her the life that she's been lacking. She basically, you know, she's able to provide for her family who are all broke. But then it starts to all go to her head. She starts to basically cast off her friends and her family. She sort of, you know, betrays them. Her dad's trying to be a, a, a musician himself, and she basically does something really horrible with him, pretty much about her selling her soul to being with these cynical music journalists. I did really like this film. It said a lot about, you know, the uh, the shallowness of the the, the music journalism um, industry. My problem with it is, Bernie felt st- and and she was good in it and funny, but her performance seemed to be all over the place. Her accent seemed to change from time to time, and there were times when she she was adopting this like, almost like Dickensian type personality, which I don't know if it was because she was an example of her trying to create this personality, this false personality for herself. But it just seemed a little weird at times and, and all over the place. It's actually written by Caitlin Moran on the novel that she wrote, and it's meant to be semi-autobiographical, so it's part of her sort of experiences as, as well. I, I did really like it. It's, it's very funny in places, and, um, yeah, it's a good one. It's on uh, Amazon Prime. Oh, I think you've... It missed the cinemas.
1: Oh wow, okay. it's it sounds yeah. like the life of uh, Julie Birchell, actually yeah. to me.
3: I yeah, so, seen it. Yeah, I've seen it. I, I really enjoyed it actually. I, I described it in my on my site as a, a feminist version of Cameron Crowe's Almost Famous, but with a massive dose of reality and the working class background of Blinded by the Light. I thought Blinded by the Light and, and Almost Famous Good Films as well, by the way. I'm not I'm not mocking it. I thought it was really good.
0: Yeah, excellent. And I believe you've got one more to finish off on the dash down.
4: Yeah, one more. So um, this is um, Greyhound. I watched because for some really weird reason, I thought we were reviewing this, <laughs> which I don't know why. Um, but but anyway, I was so uh, I uh, I got a free um, seven day um, subscription on the um, uh, trial on uh, Apple TV, and it's uh, Tom Hanks as a naval commander who's leading a, a, a fleet in the Second World War, but he's escorting merchant ships across the Atlantic. And they become under attack by uh, German submarines and they have to basically fight their way through to the, um, to the British lines and basically safety. I didn't have high hopes for this because when I put it on, I noticed it was a 90 minutes movie, which 90 minutes for, for a war film seems uh, very brisk, to be honest. And the opening scenes, I felt like I was watching a Hallmark's movie where, where, when he was at <laughs> home and with his <laughs> wife and everything. But once it got to at the actual sea, I became completely on board with this, uh, with this film. I mean, let, let's face it, it's, it's sad not to feel uh, sympathy for uh, with Tom Hanks. He's got that sad kind of sort of thing that you can't help but root for. This was a really tense thriller. It really got my heart racing. It was really creepy and claustrophobic. The fact that they were fighting against these submarines that they couldn't see and they were sort of new, were stalking them the whole time. And each time that one of the ships, like, you know, lost, you really felt something. I thought this was a really, really great movie. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, There was, like, a real, like, race against the clock type feel to it as they were sort of getting closer and closer to, to Britain and safety. I thought they did a really good job as well of presenting how naval warfare worked in this scenario, because, you know, they were sort of, without actually going into lots and lots of exposition that they managed to basically sort of show you, you know, how they were hunting the submarines and and what they were doing and everything and the strategies that they were using. I I really like this. And it was really moving as well. You know, you got to know a few of the crew members and, you know, you felt something when they they got killed and everything. Again, I was a bit perturbed when I realised that they were using so much CGI for this. But as if, even though I'm not a fan of CGI, they managed to use it in such a way that it didn't take me out of the movie. Kept everything very grounded. It didn't go for the spectacular. And I really did feel like I was actually sort of like, you know, watching real ships in that in action and everything. And yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. And I really recommend abusing Apple's seven day free trial offer to watch this.
0: As I watched it, I had no problem with it. I just kept thinking, This would have been awesome in IMAX.
2: Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I loved it. I mean, even to the point of the sort of freezing cold temperatures and when they put the hands on the metal, they, you know, they're basically stuck to it. He ramps up the terror about it as well, doesn't he? This uh, under-the-water terror that's moving around trying to kill them. Brilliant yep. film. Well, that's a good selection this month. Thank you, Darren. <laughs> Thank you for that, Darren. Okay, out of all the films we have reviewed, which film would you rate above all others this month? To make it more interesting, you can't pick your own film. For me, Underworld. For me, Man on Fire. Well, for me, The Professor and the Madman. <laughs> oh,
4: good grief. Darren. Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> more than meets the eye. Yeah.
3: Whilst whilst I agree with Darren, I'm not allowed to pick mine, so it's Man on Fire for me. Easy.
0: So Man on Fire wins this month. Yay. All right. Amongst our shows
1: for next month, we'll be putting out a review show of films seen in the cinema. Who would have thought we'd be doing this again? Oh, it's brilliant to go back. Okay. So, gentlemen, I can safely announce that's a wrap,
0: and another at the flicks is in the can.
2: So where are you off to now, then,
0: Neil, to watch another fun guilty pleasure? <laughs> Sophie's Choice, perhaps?
2: Oh, maybe Valerian in the City of Thousand Planets. I could have picked that one, couldn't I? Yeah, Sophie's Choice is much better.
1: <laughs> and for me, I'll be watching Van Helsing, starring Hugh Jackman and, oh, the <laughs> lovely Kate <laughs> Beckinsale. Is she wearing tight leather trousers
4: again? My <laughs> yes, goodness, she is. <laughs> and to everyone else, thank you for listening and goodbye.
1: make sure you never miss an episode of this podcast please subscribe to at the flicks at our website at the and if possible please remember to rate and review at the flicks wherever you get your podcasts you can contact the team on twitter or by email our contact details are also on our website at the thanks for listening